Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So why is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ando. Ah, the march of time, the learning of lessons, the rediscovery of delight. <laughs> what a great show we have for you guys today. In the middle of, uh, you know, significant personal and political chaos, we are so very happy to bring you a really fantastic conversation that I had with Dita Ilosko a couple of months ago. Talking to her actually reminded me of so many important things that we must hold dear as artists, things like choosing the harder path at times, about trusting in yourself and trusting in your relationship to your practice, and, uh, you know, the value of plain old hard-headedness. As humans, we walk the fine line in balancing everything in this life, and as artists, it's essential that we walk an even finer line. We have to remember this. It's imperative, and uh, if for nothing else, then for our own contentedness. Dida has a big show up at Christian Sen Kunsthall in Norway, which is called The Muse. It looks amazing, so if you're in that part of the world, be sure to check it out. Otherwise, check out her website. She has a lot of great documentation, a lot of other great stuff, and, uh, you know, it's amazing, just like her work. So I'm just going to get out of the way and let her tell you about it. Enjoy. But I think also as long as some are there because of an episode, then you just look at the list and like, ah, oh, I want to listen to that too. And I right. mean, so. But they're long. So not everybody has an hour either. <sighs> Everyone has to go somewhere or do something boring. Right? <laughs> Everyone has to do something boring. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily know where to start, actually. Uh, you sent me that book. Yep. Uh, or three books, I should say. Yep. One My publication, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I found really funny. Did you read it? I did. Um, and it's something which you totally, um, you know, you always want to fuck with those people who write this. Yeah. <laughs> There's, you know, you write, you get the spam mail and you're like, really? Yeah. I really want to like find out what's going on exactly. here. And it's actually, I get, I'm so happy every time I get a, a spam, scam mail like that because I'm always seeing the potential. I actually have several conversations like that one so do you just keep like, them going oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah do you always answer yes i always answer but it's quite rarely that they then wants to play really but i mean i, I guess i have a, maybe 10 conversations like that that mm. that extend over 50 emails back and forth uh -huh. i did i did want the first one i did was um in 2011 and i published a book as well called my african letters so that's when it all started so this is the second one, the one yeah. you gave me. And then there's a lot of others, but they don't really take dramatic turns like mm. like the one you wrote, mm. read. Yeah. Because um, this one, the one you read, they, uh, the emails ended. I mean, I find myself on the other side of a plan of the planet looking for that guy. Who, right, you actually went there. I went there. And it was to, in Barbados. And, yeah. And you connected it to Rihanna and you started exactly. really digging into the whole yeah. thing. And trying to find him. So I was, the, the first book is emails when he 
he began writing me initially saying, hey, I'm, you know, I have this uh, thing you have to invest in. Blah, right, blah, you'll blah. get millions yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I was uh, answering and we were writing back and forth. And and then I, I was like, oh, I'm, every time he was asking for money, I was asking for Rihanna information because I'm a Rihanna fan. And, and I asked if he could tell me more inside knowledge right. of Right, you get a picture of her house she grew up in. Exactly, at some he, point. he goes there, and he doesn't want to go. He, he's like reluctant to go there because he says that it's like a shady area, mm. and yeah, there's a lot of things going on in that email. But in those emails, but uh, then book number two is when I arrive there and keep writing him, and then he closes his account. He right. gets really and they tired. Start bouncing back. Yes, yeah, so the every other email is uh, bouncing back from his closed email account so i just walk around there and emailing him from my phone and i just like begin looking around looking for that house that rihanna that he photographed and some other things that he photographed for me and trying to find out if he was there and what is what does it mean to actually have a conversation with someone who you whom you don't know anything about and he, probably he was never even there to begin with he just like wanted to feed my Rihanna <laughs> right, thing. Right, to keep you on the <laughs> yeah. line, basically. So I, yeah, so so I think of all this, the idea of connectedness and this strange um, silence it is to be online if you, I mean, you feel like you're connected to people and you, but you don't know who, who they are really and you're basically just talking to yourself and your own projections of what you expect Sure. So, so that so book number two is is uh, just those uh, notes from my own head to myself, right? Because directed at him, yeah, to bounce back at you, yeah. And uh, those that experience of walking around there and looking for him and Rihanna and all that, um, that um, those ideas and the feelings and um, that. That has it stayed with me for a while, so I'm still working in that sort of that framework. Mm. Still, um, I, I walked into um, I'm, I'm, I, I rent a house just on the beach that is Rihanna's beach from when she was a kid, just next to next to the harbor and next to this rum factory. And um, I walk into this uh, beach club hotel that has been a ruin for 20 years. It's called. It's I run. It's so strange. It's called uh, Paradise Beach Club. It's on a beach called Paradise Beach. I found then um, some pictures when I was there. I went there several times, and I went back to my to the little house that I was renting, and I was googling the postcards and stuff from that from the area uh, from that from that beach club hotel, and some pictures had uploaded like a lot of holiday pictures on somewhere and i found like proof of the real high times of that of that so you could see when there was a restaurant exactly, people yeah. were dancing on the beach yeah. and, all and then i went back there and having that th those pictures in my head as well and but it, but as far as i could understand from asking people that it had been a ruin for like 20 years so it was probably a playground for rihanna as well when she was a kid because it's yeah. pretty close to where she she grew up yeah so even then, it was probably a ruin in the 80s. So. 
Or maybe it was still running in the 80s. Well, I think one of the things that's super interesting to me about it is how you uh, manage to flesh out so much out of such a simple exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, you start with a, a scam email and end up in an entirely different country wandering around talking to yourself. Yeah. Historical research, uh, tourism, uh, you know, documentation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, really yeah. Get a lot of, but if we were to back it, back it, back it, back it up to school days or before, mm-hmm. where, like where did it start, this interest? Because you, you do return back to this research-based yeah. uh, material, uh, cultural. Yeah. Mm. I think I did some pictures of Britney Spears when she freaked out that time when she when she cut off her hair. Maybe that was the first really, um, I think that was 2007. Now, were you a fan of Britney Spears beforehand? No, I, I've always been um, very um, scared of pop and, and um, I'm always hating it. I was hating it and I was really refusing it and then I had so much distance that I had to sort of find out what my problem really was with all this right and then I right because that's the big question what is it you know I I I have the same thing I also hate pop and I essentially hate it because uh, unless we're talking about sublime pop Mm -hmm. certain Michael Jackson whatever Mm -hmm. but for the most part I feel like it's it 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 is bad for society exactly that's my that's my argument is it's bad for people it doesn't bring you anything it's vapid it's empty Mm -hmm. it's uh frosting on the cake etc but uh but it also makes me appear like a a, a sour old man Mm -hmm. you know when i'm like "Eh," you know Mm -hmm. this goddamn you know yeah Uh, but i've always been like that yeah i i began to look into it and finding out that I was really buying into it. I was charmed by it. I liked it, you know, so I, I, and then I hated it. You hated it and liked it. Yeah. So I hated it even more because I was secretly liking it. And you didn't want to admit to yourself that you liked it. Because that would be horrible. My whole image would fall (laughs) apart. And um, then. Your countercultural cred. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, it was a huge relief for me when I just, um, uh, accepted that I was a pop culture fan. And mm. then I found, for example, especially with the, with the, these African-American women that I've been studying, particularly Rihanna, Beyonce, and Nicki Minaj, I found that they have some sort of, they have a feminism that is not at all the left wing group. We fix it all in a group. We build it up from the beginning in a group mentality as we have here in Scandinavia. It's not academic feminism, that's no. for sure. Uh, but it is a sort of feminism that is that comes from them being in in an American background where where there's racism and a lot of hi- hierarchies in that pop and hip-hop world. So they come from another fight, another struggle. But I think that they have, that what they then project out is some sort of universal womanhood survivor womanhood that works for like white skinny kids here too because even though it comes from another struggle you can still take it and take some of the weapons and some of the strategies they have and use that on your your own 
life. Mm -hmm. For example, um, Beyonce, who has this very aggressive feminism, almost really fight, really war <laughs> loving feminism. Right. All three of them are very powerful yeah, figures. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's yeah. no uh, daintiness. Exactly. To it and, and I'm, I, I do not think that that's the, you know, it's sort of a business, uh, go getter feminism. And I don't think that's the best feminism, but I think it's better than no feminism. And if like 12 year old white girls get at least that mm. part of feminism, <laughs> mm. because academic feminism is too closed and too complicated. And uh, then, then that's good enough for me. It's something. Yeah. It's the, it's when you sit on a, on a plane and, and there is a this um, instructions to what you do in an emergency situation, and it says, try to, to put this oxygen mask on yourself first, so that others can see how they do. You can't just like force it on onto like kids and people in panic. You have to demonstrate yourself, mm. and that I think these women do. And I I will repeat that I do not think it's the best form of feminism <laughs> but it's at least uh it's some sort of maybe a transitional feminism that that can work for young people to try to right. raise their bags and and uh, stand up for themselves more than if they just keep on playing into the structure that is very much here yeah i mean so where does that play into your practice as an artist you know when you grow up uh mm -hmm. you you at some point decide you're want to pursue mm -hmm. something some yeah. sort of career uh and and then you know the question you know in art school it's all about trying all sorts of different things and mm -hmm. you know really trying a bunch of stuff but but where are you in this where did you start yeah. getting fixated on these subjects as symbols for something yeah which is i don't know if i'd call it academic but at least artistic in that mm -hmm. sense you know it's become part of a language for you in terms mm -hmm. of, of, of of your work mm -hmm. That um, started, but um, well, you mentioned the Britney painting earlier. Yeah, that perhaps that was like you painted that, and then you felt like, oh, okay, this is something I can keep working with. Mm. I don't know if there was like a distinct situation, or I think I've uh, behind all these arguments of content in my work. There's also a sincere joy for me to just be working and trying to figure out, okay, how does that, can I like visually? The craft and, of it. Yeah, the craft of it. Yeah. Especially these days where I'm doing all these, uh, where I'm cutting up canvases and weaving them into others. And it's more, it's a lot about, okay, I just want to see how that plays out. And mm. just want to test that and cut that up and paint that and see if I can even paint that. And okay, it didn't work. Can I, what can I, I mean, so the whole, I have a huge um, need for being alone <laughs> and sitting. It's really, um, for me, it's very egoistic, egoistic also. It's not only that I want to save the world and, and, and tell people that all types of feminism is okay. It's also that I myself just need that space for m my whole organism to <laughs> keep on running. Mm. Um, so in that sense, there's not a lot of saving the world in that or being academic at all. It's just, um, 
that I like, you know, moving paint around until it oh. sits in the in a situation that I either like or dislike or can work with somehow. Mm. So that whole studio life is crucial for me. And from from even from before high school, I went home every day and locked the door and did like all kinds of paintings and cut cutouts and things and built whole universes. And and when I began in, in the first year at at an art school, it was, I was there. I was only home to sleep, mm. and sometimes I even slept mm. in that studio. And especially at the academy, I was just there every night, every weekend, every holiday, every you know, just always. I was one of the ones together with the exchange students that was just always there. Mm. And uh, that was not because I wanted to pursue some sort of career or or become something. It was just because I always had you know that one project that I just needed to you know fix in right. my head or in my with my hands or, right I need and then this the next to be done one so i can feel okay yeah and then the next one you know tailed it so you know i never sure. i never get the piece that i'm hunting but um and so it never stops exactly but but yeah where'd you go to school in malmo yeah at the academy there yeah yeah i think um well i mean just to do a little bit of shameless butt kissing here uh, the reason I really like your work is that materiality because a lot of people who do work with kind of uh, cultural research and have a mm -hmm. very, um, uh, yeah, just a, a very um, methodological research-based practice, they tend to shy away from the mark, the hand. They put up a DIA projector. Exactly. The projector, clever. the glass cat, <laughs> something that's exactly. manufactured yeah. as opposed to made by hand. A book that lies there open. And, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like often... It's not right or wrong. It's just often it's it's really hard to do that in a way which uh, is multidimensional mm. to me. Whereas if you have a, a a broader view of the world and work with your hands on a very on your hands and knees uh, mix and paint level, that can make the work have several levels. Yeah, you know, because you can both talk about technique and uh, presentation and all that sort yeah. of stuff, as well as the research that led you there. Yeah, the references, all that sort of stuff. A few year, a few months back, I decided that I would stop talking this feminist talk that I always do <laughs> because I realized that it's not, it's not the main reason that these works exist mm. the main reason is my really childish interest in that paint and the way that it sits and um does the feminist thing come later and you just kind of put it on top or what like how does that yeah it, it comes before and also i put it on top and it's just for me now i think it's very much in the way but it has because it has become something that looks like a justification oh i do I paint naked black women. I need a really good excuse, right? <laughs> so, and now I'm just like, who cares if, if people think that's politically incorrect? I know it's not. I know I have another... I, I, I just can't explain that anymore. I've been ex explaining and explaining for several years. That's what our school teaches you to do. Yeah. <laughs> you have to justify constantly. But luckily, what happened was that, for example, these the Rihanna paintings... There are two over there mm -hmm. that I did. Um, those were the first ones that were really a series and a, a project for me where I was looking at these um, paparazzi 
pictures, and mm -hmm. I, then I did these large-scale, huge paintings of, for example, of that shirt that she's on there. Mm -hmm. Then I would do like, uh, um, you know, almost an American 60s painting that would be like of stripes or whatever pattern she ha she's wearing. Mm -hmm. So that they, they looked like something from modernism in like male painting from America. But they were not. They were zooms of Rihanna clothes, which is then, of course, the clothes that she's wearing is also, of course, uh, in reference to art from prior eras but uh, anyway so I started on that and also because I I was just uh, also very interested in the whole Instagram was new back then and she was like posting a lot of things and I was interested in her and trying to understand her and it became a very superficial project with a lot of nice paintings but very superficial and what I um, and I that was the intention of it. I, I wanted it to be as superficial as these paparazzi pictures indeed are. But but I think what happened recently was after after me walking around on the beaches in in Barbados, I think and looking for her. I was not really looking for her. I was more or less looking for a myth that I had created in my own head. Um, and so these paintings are. are four years old but then the newer ones that I'm doing are more that one for example that is um, a picture of her on a surfboard and but she has her uh, back toward us so I don't it's actually just out of memory of a photo so it's not even her anymore it's just like what That's I you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so but so it's like it's this myth that I'm hunting and and there's this one day that that the, one of these paintings the surfboard paintings were um, just looking at me and saying okay you you made this up in your head it's not it's not Rihanna anymore it has nothing to do with her and that was um, quite nice because then I can probably maybe I can leave the whole argumentation of why I'm mixed up with naked bodies and pop and all that that I still kind of hate but have tried to excuse with words instead of just, uh, yeah. It sounds like you're still trying to justify your desires. Oh, yeah. With this. Or at least what it is that you uh, I think it's are attracted to. Yeah. I think it's important to be reflective about consuming pop that is naked African-American bodies. I think that as a white person, I think that's something we always have to ask ourselves why we're doing and and why the whole market is is uh, playing on that still like like as if it was a Joseph Baker scene again where she's dancing around in a banana skirt playing like the wild african when she's actually just you know an american from i don't know queens or where she was from yeah and and they are doing that too and especially for example Nicki Minaj who's like i mean for example the pictures where she's so overly seductive and has this over like silicon built body that enhancing that idea of the black woman for the white gaze and i think actually she's looking at us saying can't you see that this is that you your gaze is really sick <laughs> i think that i know that she's also just she just wants to sell more records but i think that there is an ambush in the way that and in, and in beyonce as well i think they they are they know 
that gaze. They are also using it, but they are. Do, have you seen the Anaconda video with Nicki Minaj? Okay, she's in no. this jungle with these like really naked, sexy black women, and you know. Is it the one about her ass, basically? Yeah, yeah. And I think that I think it's it's so much over the top, and the cliches are not even just discreetly there. They, so I, th I mean, it to me, she's just like saying, "Wow, I'm looking at the gaze that you are looking with." You know, you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, so I, I don't think it's as stupid as people want it to be. Pop. Well, these people aren't dumb because they've managed to hold on to. Yeah. It's a, it's a very hard business position mm. to be in, to be them. Yeah. Uh, so it's clear that they're not dumb. Yeah. Just like, you know, Donald Trump is not dumb, even though he is really dumb. You know, there's that sort of thing. <laughs> like, you can't hold on to that mm. without having some sort of acumen. No. Um, but it's it's... You know, again, it goes back to like you you are uh, uh, assuming that she's reflecting it back at us, but but we don't know that, you know, so we, we know that if it. we look at. Yeah, if you look at the Nicki Minaj's texts, it's quite clear. She just says it all the time. Mm. So I'm sure she is. But I'm also sure that the layer that people consume and the layer where she's earning money, no one sees it. Right. And no one cares. Right. And that's why she gets rich. Maybe <laughs> so she went to art good school. Good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, that goes back to also what you were saying about writing and justifying and everything. Because we learn in art school, one thing to look critically, which is good. But maybe the bad thing is that we also learn to uh, to constantly have to write, justify, mm. reference yeah. um, what we do. Mm. You know, and sometimes I have people on the show who just make shit. Mm. And they don't really like... I don't know. I just fucking, I paint, yeah. you know, I grab paint, I have a brush yeah. and then I make a bunch of fucking paintings. Mm. That's what I do. Yeah. And you can write or do whatever the hell you want. I wish I was that person. I well, am that person. I just want, I, I just, I just need to, to get out of um, words, wording. <laughs> yeah. But you don't seem to be afraid of writing because if you look at yeah, your right. website and, you know, various things you've been involved with, uh, you know, even the book. Mm. Uh, of emails you know you're not afraid of writing no i i enjoy it a lot it's like i it's just a problem when it gets uh, constant argumentations for because because what because i'm a little ashamed of what i do or mm -hmm. <laughs> is that right. you know and i'm not so i should just not uh, you know spend so much time with that mm. Well, our homie Kevin Malcolm, who's mm -hmm. been on the program and I know you've worked with yeah. too, he said something to me which I really, really resonated with me, which is why the fuck does art always have to justify its existence? Oh, yeah. You know, and like even on a political level, the government constantly has to defend the fact that there's tax money used on culture. Mm. No one has to defend why soccer exists. Mm. That was his example. Yeah. And in fact, there's a lot of things about soccer, racism, homophobia, oh, yeah. you know, uh, commodification of, you know, there's all <laughs> sorts of stuff. And no one talks about it whatsoever. Maybe mm. some academic writes a paper, boo-hoo, fuck you, no yeah. one cares. You know? And so the art constantly has to be like, is this okay? Mm. Do I, I have to tell you why it's okay? Because yeah, yeah. I assume it's not okay until I can explain it. You yeah. Know? And also, I think the, my reason for explaining is that I don't want people to miss the layers that I see in pop or in my work mm -hmm. or uh, so I want to make sure that they get that and that's a good thing is it really <laughs> I, don't I don't know well I mean there's the whole argument there's lots of people mostly um angry bitter people who say yeah the work should just speak for itself I, w I wish it did 
I don't that, think that's the case anymore. That's really? not the way we work. Because, for example, there's a lot of work I'll look at and be like, visually, I don't really know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I, I got nothing to go off of. But then you read about the research or the ideas yeah. or something, and you're like, okay, I can start to piece together the layers. Of course. I just, yeah. I don't know. Because isn't it just uh, just decorative otherwise? No. No, no. No, no, no. I don't even know what to say without getting into explaining. So I just keep saying no. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing because I was never, uh, I, I've slowly painfully taught myself to write about what I do. Mm-hmm. Because you have to do the applications for the... That's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people are angry about that because they don't want to write about it. You know, mm-hmm. and then like people, you know, maybe one point you get to the level where you have a gallery or people you work with who someone else can write for you. And you're yeah, like, yeah. ah, finally, mm-hmm. you know, I can explain to them. They'll put mm-hmm. it on paper yeah, yeah. and I can just go back to the studio and make work. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, it's a good skill to have. We are business people. We are self-employed business people. That's the fact. Mm, there has it. to be some sort of uh, pitch. <laughs> yeah. And, you. you know, it's not like it's not like, you know, being an artist is, is, is a very... Uh, sought job there's mm-hmm. not enough positions for everybody who wants to be part no one, of it no one wants it really yeah or everybody wants yeah, it I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we, we want it right mm. uh so so in a way i feel like some level of justification is necessary but i'm not sure that the over analyzation of things no. like it's fine the artist says what they want to say about it mm. it's not necessarily fine that it gets picked apart and I don't know. I mean, someone told me once when I was in school, which I very much enjoyed, was that uh, art criticism was the academics or the intellectuals' revenge on the artist. Because <laughs> the artist says, fuck you. I don't have to follow any rules. I do what yeah. I want. And our intellectuals are like, no, 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 no. We're mm. going to create a nomenclature, a discourse, yeah. the international arts English, yeah, yeah. so to speak. And I assume you, like me, learned it in school, right? Mm. Have, yeah. Have you ever been into those um, those websites where you can put in words and then they do an artist statement they're amazing oh god when i found it i actually got i got a little bit angry because I, I, I spent so much time trying to write english artist statements Hard. and I, every time i read it after a year i'm like oh this is not at all what i'm working with. So, <laughs> try again. so i've done it a lot you know trying sure. to and then these machines they just fix it yeah They've nailed the, the the language is so the, the art bullshit language the yeah, sophistication of the motivation of their you know yeah intersectionality yeah. of uh, and you know. Foucault and all that yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah I know it's crazy and for a while I was like oh this is great I'll just have a machine write my artist statements but I haven't got, I haven't gotten to use use one yet but every time I show it to people and we plug in their words and they're, and they're like <laughs> they are so happy yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone I mean I I should use them next time you know use one next time because i mean it's as good as anything i would write it sounds as because you have to they have to be so short also so it it is these you know one line can have like six really long very um, really long words that has a lot of yeah that has dense context in every little word or every word and Mm. then there's just like six of them in one sentence because you have to cramp it all together into being mean something really big mm. and then you can't read it you don't get it you don't, it's like yeah. this is nothing yeah one of the last project i did i just for my artist statement explained how i did it did the artist statement or did no the how works? i did the works <laughs> oh, yeah. this is how i made them yeah there yeah. you go get what get it from you well yeah. you know but 
I don't know. It's it's. I guess it's part of navigating the process of being an artist, right? Because yeah. you you must you enjoy the research part of it, right? Yeah, and research is also, for example, with the scam emails, research is a lot. Just where I'm researching my just like really simple ideas, and I'm throwing out to some scammer. Mm. So it's not really research, and I'm in the library or in the archive or googling around. It's more that I'm just like testing ideas and sending them out. So a lot of what's ends ends up on a two dimensional frame on canvas is just me writing my way into something. Mm-hmm. So I use writing a lot like that, but. Then there's the other type of writing, which is the application application and the justifying. Right. But I guess I can't really get around it, but I just um, maybe shouldn't jump directly into that every time people ask me what my art is about. Maybe I should just say something else. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think self-reflection is a glorious thing mm. in the mo- for the most part. The fact that you can take something so simple and then build build upon it is the foundation of what you're doing right now in so many ways. And that's great. Mm. I'm all for that, you know? And then the other part is just a reality of the business mm. or whatever, you know, because the other thing maybe people don't know is that in Denmark, it is very much state supported. So you do have to be able to, to write. speak yeah. and write about it on a level in which you can say, Hey, I'm working on something. I could use some money because mm. no one else is giving me money Yeah, and they might actually give you some money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that works even that I think that's why we are explaining every project because it's easier to get the project money than it is to get the grant where you have to say something general about your entire practice. Right. The the specific project. Right, right. It's harder to justify thing. the whole thing rather than this is what I'm working on right yeah. now. This is what I'm interested yeah. in. And f- and actually, I mean, I shouldn't say that I'm against writing because it's actually very helpful. You sort out a lot of things in your head when you try to explain. Oh, yeah. Your, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have the problem that sometimes I'll think about ideas for a couple of months and then I think I have them all cooked in my mm-hmm. head and then so I start talking about it and I realize I don't know shit about yeah. what I'm, I like. I just had some sort of weird foggy picture in my yeah. head. You know, and so talking so it out, like, yeah. testing it out, exactly. that sort of thing. Yep. Very important. And it sounds like you had that from the beginning. If you said, you know, when in high school or before mm. you were locked in your room testing stuff out. Yeah. Um, when I was, I got a little, when I, when I um, went to the school in Malmö Art Academy, mm-hmm. I, I had just come from a Danish situation in 2002, three where painting was just the, the it was the high time of, of painting. And everyone that I went to school with in both in Aarhus and in Odense, where I went, we all applied for the spring exhibition and the fall exhibition and everyone got in with like huge expressive colorful paintings Mm. these are two important exhibits in copenhagen every year or historically important exhibits they're like 100 years old they happen every year it's a jury and it used to mean you're here you made it yeah yeah. if you got in it felt like that that anymore yeah yeah it it felt like that when when we were 20 and did that so everyone did sort of the same type of painting and then when i and we all had the same painting heroes Especially, yeah, the the different German ones and then the local ones, which was John Körner, Telia, all these people. So when I applied to get away from Ulense, I applied both Malmö and the Royal Academy, and I got in both at both uh, schools, and I had to find out how to choose. And the one school said, 
the, the one in Copenhagen just said, we will embrace you and your, you know, expressive painting and the colorful painting and all your heroes are also teachers here and all your friends right. are here and we're You're all doing the same thing. The and the, Yeah, and the galleries are already picking up people in the first yeah. year yeah, and they're selling the, a lot. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. And I... And I was quite good at that fashionable painting style. Mm. I enjoyed it a lot and we exhibited a lot and we all, you know, encouraged each other. So I was like, if I end up in that school, I will just be dragged into the whole, I would be encouraged and I would be, you know, I would, I would just keep on doing this. It'd be too easy. It would be too easy. And so I was like, okay, so this school in Sweden, what is that? <laughs> and then, and I went in and I chose that one and and, and I only chose it, yeah, and, yeah. I chose it because everyone said, "Don't choose this, Didi. You are too, you know, you, you. It's not for you. Mm. It's just, you know, too relational, yeah, yeah, relational aesthetics, and and just like reading, 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 and writing, and uh, you know, you will die there." And I was like, "Okay, I'm going." <laughs> so I went there, and I was like, "Fuck, this is, this is horrible." <laughs> And I dragged myself through the five years and I got... Was it horrible the all five years for you? Yeah. Why? It, but what also, happened? No, it was, it was good when I was just allowed to be in my studio and be with my friends in their studios and, and work. Mm -hmm. But there was no painting teacher at all. Right. There's only... There was a lot of courses that you had like at an, like an, an, a university where you had to get points to get to pass that semester sure so there were actually texts that you needed to to read and understand and talk about at in classes and so write about like university oh, yeah. than an there's academy a lot of like that. yeah there was we went yeah there were like i dragged my eyes through so many Foucault texts mm -hmm. and uh, hannah arendt and all these that i would not pick up on you know with my free will, I would mm. rather paint in my studio. So it was this constant conflict of the school system versus can I just get to paint? And every time I had a, had a studio visit with a professor, they were like, oh, yeah, this uh, theme that you're working on, it's really interesting, but why do you have to paint it? Why not just like hang hang that print, that Wikipedia print, print or that, you know, why don't you just hang it or open the book and just place it there and, you know, make a text and pin it on the wall and I was like but I want to move paint around with a brush and like mm. oh that's so stupid right that's so blase it's so 90 or like 80s so I was fighting a lot and then in the end I was like okay I have to oh, by by after three years I was like okay I have to I have to build my own education in the education right. so I was like what would they do what did they do in in like the 16th century how did they build up an art school Okay, they first you were taught how to like build frames and make you know grind pigment and be like the slave in the studio of the master, and then you would slowly get to do underpaintings and then the still life and then the history painting and blah. So that was like a system of education back then. So I was like trying to make that for myself, and then I was doing sketches and small books and stuff and I would just categorize them no just organize them alphabetically so it would be like okay so what's my opinion on Pollock I would write something or make something and I would just archive it under Pollock and then sometimes I would like put a book and I was like it just in boxes and then I was like oh there's another Pollock book and it said you know 
the opposite of that opinion that I had that day. So it was like an, it was almost like a, um, like a diary just over several years and just with a lot of confusing thoughts on paint, painters, other art, uh, things that I explored in my studio, things that I heard on the radio that were related to that sort of, uh, education that I was faking for myself. So you were chewing up art history on yes, your own. Exactly. Then I so my exam was this archive. I'm just gonna show you. So it was a, a whole archive of these like five hundred books with titles and then so the titles are here. Um, and then you would take up a thing and then it could be um, a book or a painting or it could be notes or a print or just like you didn't know. So this was you trying to figure it out. Yeah. So my exam at Malmö Art Academy was this thing. That looks great. And so, they add some of your works in it, but a lot of other stuff too. Yeah, it's all... Color theory I see right there. Yeah. That was the, the way that I organized the whole... I really made a whole education program. So there were like chapters that you needed to go through before you could enter the next. But but it was also very, it looked extremely organized, but it was actually a complete chaos. Why do you feel like you had to do this? It was just to, uh, in the beginning, it was called the Encyclopedia for Painters, but all my professors hated that. So I... Uh, I renamed it Unbreak My Heart to say you love me again. And so it was my... Fuck you, professors. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just some sort of... I, I really needed to defend painting mm. because I wasn't really allowed to do painting. Do you ever doubt? Did you ever say, like, maybe they're right? Maybe I shouldn't paint? Uh, yeah, every day. That's why I had to do this archive. Well, I mean, just, you obviously answered eventually, no, I need to paint. I need to do it this way. But I didn't believe it when I did the book. It was not until years after I finished, or when I did the archive, it was not until I had finished that I really understood that I didn't need to defend painting. I could just paint. That's wild. But um, so at at my exam, this archive was there. It was like a five, six long, eight meters long kind of a... Yeah, it's a whole shelf. It's like yeah. a, a filing And you walk box. up on like three steps so that you stand almost in a, as in a control room mm. and then you stand with, the, with your hands on these books so you could pick, mm. pick, pick up a book and then you could like overlook the gallery space. Mm -hmm. And there's like a hundred books here or something, isn't there? I think there's 400. 400 books. <laughs> so they are all... Jesus but they Christ, are, that was a lot of work. Yeah, but it was a lot of... When you... Now a collector has it. But um, it's been exhibited, I think, maybe 12 times, that, uh, that archive. Yeah. So, And every time I go to a show where it's in, I get so embarrassed because people take up and read all these things. And if I do, it's like the most embarrassing stuff that's there. Just like things that just like I, I didn't edit at all. I didn't look through it at all. I just wrote and put it down and wrote mm. another thing and put it down. Like, oh, thoughts on, I don't know, blue or whatever. You may be embarrassed, but isn't it the fact that this, you had to do this to survive, to yeah. move on? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, it sounds like it's, it's funny. We keep going back to these ideas of like, you have to find out, you have to justify it. You have to find out if it's okay. Yeah. And, and you question it constantly. You're saying, is this 
is this real? Yeah. Is this something I need or yeah. I don't need or I need to? So, I mean, it sounds insane. You actually gave yourself an education on top of another education mm. just to kick the shit out of yourself. Yeah. I could have uh, done so much else. <laughs> you could have just, you know, you could, I could have just been, been painting. Painter, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, you, I would have, yeah, I would have seen that in Mama Art Academy 2006. <laughs> but, I, I think it would have maybe been kicked out. Yeah. But they do it now. At yeah, now Academy. it's back, right? They do even clay and all of these like modernist-looking things, and they've done for like five years. Sure, I teach. I teach photography. We're getting in the darkroom again. Um, but I mean, I just, I just find it really incredible. And I think this is a big lesson for a lot of people listening. The fact that you took it upon yourself to find out what it was you needed and ask yourself the questions of why and do the research yourself, you know, cause again, you just wanted to paint. You didn't have to go through and pick apart every major mm. painter for the past hundred years mm. or whatever you, you know, and, and but the, yeah, but there was something important to mention too, is that I never went to a course where you learned to either draw or paint. Mm. And I just really wanted to be able to paint figuratively and no one could teach me at, uh, maybe, maybe I could have taken some sort of evening course with a local Croquet. dude. Yeah. Or something, and I just really wanted to do these paintings that I'm doing now, and no one could teach me, so I just had to, you know, go to museums, buy books, and just like try to find out how how to do it. And I, it took me so long time, such a long time, to just find out how to put shadow and light so that it looked like a hand or whatever. And I I think that I spent many years trying to learn that, and I could have just probably learned that. In a week course somewhere, or in, yeah, or in a week's course. school for retired exactly. people. Exactly, I could have, yeah, I could have learned it so fast, and I regret that I didn't know that. That I didn't, I knew it, but I didn't get to sort of. Um, it's not too late. Yeah, it's just like being autodidact. What is uh, that word in English? Uh, self taught. Self taught. Yeah. When you have been to school for twenty years, that's a little strange, right? right. That no one taught me to to do this no but i'm sure it affected your practice in so many other ways as you said you were on the course to do something completely different mm. and then you ended up you know i mean I, one of my questions is why did you stay if it was that yeah. hard and that punishing why did you stay why can you imagine you how many times i wish that i had taken the opportunity and go and to go to the royal academy where everyone would have loved right. my stupid large-scale paintings you know, I yeah. probably even had would have had like a fancy gallery early on, as all my friends and and people from from that generation they got really early. Why did I have to be so see it with so such as so problematic? Because I was just like nineteen or twenty. Right, it's an early point to make that decision. Yeah, to 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 think that oh, it's better to be to go somewhere that you don't want to go and drag yourself through it. I'm so glad that I did. But, and uh, there, it's one of the best schools in Europe, probably, and, and I learned so much. But what I learned was not from the Hannah Arendt course or from the Foucault courses. Right. It was from surviving in, that, uh, in those studio visits with professors that didn't like my work. Against your own nature. Yeah. Well, I mean, it must have made I learned you to fight hardened. for... Maybe that's why I argument so much now yeah. when I do uh, paintings of Rihanna. Right. I, keep argumenting because right, you're ready it, to fight for it yeah but i mean you said you're happy about it to me it 
it's probably one of the most important decisions you ever took in terms oh, yeah. of art. I remember when I told when I told my dad. So I'm in because in Sweden it's called the it, the school is called Malmö Konsthögskola, and that's Konsthögskola. And in um, but in the, in Denmark, Högskola is high school. Whole different thing, yeah. yeah. So my dad was like, "So let me let me just understand you. You are choosing between the Royal Academy and in high school right. in Sweden, right. and you are choosing that. <laughs> Can you just again explain to me? You know, the most prestigious educational <laughs> institute in the entire country yeah. versus West yeah, but it's not a high school no, like they have not. here, which is like an after, which is like no, an it's extra not. It's just the word of it thing. was just like really." Uh, no, yeah. it's a very good school. Uh, Runo Lago Messina went there. Yeah. He was been on the program. Um, yeah, it's a good school. They are, um, yeah. But it's it, it sounds fierce. I mean, I had I had some of the same struggles. I'm not necessarily terribly academically inclined, and no one forced me to do that. Mm-mm. Occasionally, I try to pick up a book because I'm like, God damn it! This time around, I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna read Foucault. I'm gonna do mm. this or that. And I'm all you know. I last about ten pages or so, yeah. and then I'm like, I'm like, nah, mm. this isn't me. You know. The thing where you read page after page, after page and you're like dreaming yeah, about yeah, yeah. something else. Yeah, you're not else. absorbing you're anything. Not. <laughs> so like, what did I just read? I have no idea. But I think everyone who says that they get Foucault, they just say that. They just get some phrase from like the backside of a Foucault book. Right. Of someone. Yeah, the way to write about him. Yeah. That, that you know, someone else have, have summed up and then they just say that because yeah. no one gets it. But what's the argument? So you could have just painted the whole time. Instead, you put yourself through hell. But at the other side, you've learned how to paint and deal with a whole other uh, method of thought in yeah. the art world. Yeah, and that's that's worth it. And what I what I got in Malmö was some very close friends that work with painting mm-hmm. that worked also all nights and all weekends, and that we helped each other so much in the studios. Suck it out. Yeah. And um, we built the whole discourse and logic around ourselves. And I'm still using those conversations. And of course, they, they too come here and I still come there and all that. But but those were the ones, the things that we found out together and um, the, the whole notion of being a painter in a school where painting is almost prohibited. That was, it's so stupid. The painting was prohibited. It's like the most. I mean, it's, there was always this fight in the, between the academics and the painters at the school. There were no sculptures back then. Yeah, they again. thought we were so stupid, and you know, it was always like, oh, now there's paint in the sofa again. It's the painters. Like every time there's a little <laughs> thing that is like bended a little bit, then there's paint in it. God you know, a little cup painters. or a little yeah, and they yeah. Well, I mean, people have proclaimed painting dead. So many times. And but it was dead there. Sure, but it never is all oh, the it's way not, dead. It wasn't it dead, back. but it, it was constantly it was killed powered. and held down. <laughs> but now they have painting teachers there. Yeah. Well, that's the next question is where are we now? You obviously have a practice which is very painterly, but not entirely painterly. Yeah. Um, we haven't even gotten to Woodpecker. You oh, also yeah. work with uh, with books, Yeah. which is a very... Um, Woodpecker is a... Um, um, ambulatory curating platform-ish team of uh, me, Jens Henriksen, and Jakob Knabe in Sweden. And how did that start? Um, it started with two small um, publishing houses 
being fused together for several reasons in Malmö. And then we did uh, different publications to begin with, artist books, and then um, we began doing some shows. And right now we have two shows up in Sweden. I saw Kevin's showing. Yeah. Kevin Malcolm is showing at Interart Center in in Malmö. And uh, then we have a group show at at, um, the Art Museum in Öster. Um, yeah. And you've also, of course, had a lot on your own on your plate in terms of your own work. Yeah. You so just I'm had a to... big show in Norway, right? I'm going to have in the beginning of the year. Hmm. So where does what what's the jump? You finally graduate. You yeah. unbroke your heart. Yeah. And then then it's the real world. Bam. Yeah. But I will. Uh, yeah. The real world didn't hit me. Because I got a huge grant from the museum in Malmö, mm. you know, five days before I graduated. Did so, you apply for it? Uh, yeah, everyone does. Mm. It's this thing. So it was two hundred thousand. So I was just like, my life is so good right now, <laughs> and everyone hated me. And my boyfriend get, got the same the same day. So we were like, hello, right. come on, graduation. Right. Everyone ain't else no, was ain't like, no summer job this year. Exactly, and everyone else. So I didn't. I got a really good start. Mm. And and he did too. So we we were um, and that and I mentioned that because that meant a lot that we got it both. So that one it's didn't huge. have to go in the cemetery and collect leaves while the other one was like flying. So to Barbados, exactly, <laughs> literally, <laughs> yeah. So that so that that support meant so much. Right, and so you were I able was, to use that money to build up yeah. a. A, a career and a, you yeah. know, this business. It was that. It was actually that that sum of money mm. that did that. Mm. Well, I mean, here because I never had to take a job. I'll put this to you. I bet if you'd went to the Danish Art Academy, you would not have gotten that grant. Oh no, because they wouldn't know of me. Well, not only that, but you wouldn't have been the type of artist who would have gotten that grant anyway. No, but then I would have, you know, then I would have a gallery in Denmark. <laughs> sure, and you'd be stuck drinking red wine with. Uh, paint. Can old you paint women. another one of that? Yeah. You know, those paintings. You know, that sell so well. Their sofa is kind of brownish. Can you add a couple more brown here? Exactly. Here? <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I've ne- I've always 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 worked with galleries that would just basically give me the key no one ha- have ever asked me to do to do anything that's the kind of art you make though that's what decides that yeah but i do really i mean who wants, to, who wants to buy i mean there, i do really a lot of things that people cannot have in their living room because it's too much of ass or whatever so i don't know maybe um but so but still no one has tried to curb me in any way that's really a freedom as well. I think that has to do with the choices you made to get where you are now. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a dumb statement to make. Obviously, that's the case. But really, you could have gone the easy way. Yeah. You had the easy had. way laid out. <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure about that because you may be in a completely different position. Just Because every time I start a painting, I don't know how to paint. I don't, I don't have it in my backbone to just like, oh, now I'm doing this nice painting. Mm. If I had done that thing where I had just continued doing these nice, large-scale, colorful paintings, I would just know exactly how to attack a canvas. It would be just like with the left hand. But you aren't the person who chooses the easy way. Well, <laughs> Apparently. I mean, isn't that clear? <laughs> yeah, and that's really stupid. You should always, always jump where the fence is the lowest, right? <laughs> 
I, can't I would give everyone that recommendation. But you already said you were happy you chose the high fans. Yeah, maybe just because then I can. Otherwise, wow, so many hours spent on nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because no, I, does... I, I will uh, correct that if I said that before, which I did. I, I think really you should take the easy way out. Mm. Don't you think? But this goes. This is full circle. It goes back to the idea of self-reflection, right? Mm -hmm. And the hard way forces you to reflect more. I mean, I feel like I took. In some ways, I've taken the hard way, uh, and I don't. I think I did the right thing because I've had to learn, and it's it, you lose a lot of time. Yeah, it takes a lot fucking longer, but your foundation is more solid because you have had to ask the hard questions. But to paint a hand, why? Why does that take? Why do I have to invent that? Why couldn't I just have gone to? I mean, it's... go on YouTube. You can find painting tutorials on how to paint a hand. Rob Love? No, what's his name? Rob? What's the name of the guy who does these like fantastic snow landscapes? Rob. Oh, uh, Bob Ross. Bob Ross. Yes, exactly. Oh, oh, we're just gonna paint a little tree right here. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should do these now that I I do know how to paint figuratively. I should do like every time I do a painting, I should do a little YouTube upload. The problem is I never know how to paint when I begin a painting. Why is that? Because you have to question everything you do. Yeah, but it's just I know how I know how to do it. I can just do it. I just did one last night. Maybe you'll get bored. Yeah, so I'm, I sit there and I'm like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do that. But then still the hand is still doing it. You're still painting it. <laughs> yeah. You're painting it after all, right? Yeah. And that seems to be the thread that keeps coming around. Is yeah. that you go back to, you have to do it anyways. Yeah. Hard or easy, you still have to do yeah. it. Have you, do, have you done any teaching? Uh, yes. The problem is um, I, I'm good at it, but I let in people so much that I, they, they come home with me. I think of, I'm like trying to solve their problems at night. And that's mm. if you have a class of 15 people, that's kind of a lot that just mm. like circulates. Every, every person I, I meet, I, I think about, oh, what did I tell him? Did I, did I, you know, even now with you, I will... There's a lot of things that I probably wish I had said, and I would, you know, at night, tonight, I will think about that. I'm like, oh, why didn't I say that? And can, and how is, and you know, it loops. I can't just leave people. They stay with me for so long. And that's why teaching is really hard for me because it drags energy out of me because I can't just, when they forgot about, you know, they go home, they forget about their painting problems or whatever and their life and their, you know, mosquito bite that they had on that, you know, all that. I still think of it, right. and that's my my big issue that I uh, try to to yeah people stick mm. for too long. Things stick, yeah. Ideas stick, yeah. Well, I think that um, you can probably look forward to doing it the hard way for the rest of. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but I think it's a good thing. I think but I, I honestly just told think you. That's good I just told you that I am now. Um, in the process of um, beginning to maybe understand that I shouldn't uh, spend so much time arguing. And that's, I think that's a huge part of the trying to always take the diff difficult way because all the arguments that I had when I had to choose between the schools um, were much like the ones I have now with mm. like other things. So I think... Um, I think I'm learning to um, 
let go of my ideals because that's the thing. There is this picture that you of yourself that you want to be clever for co-reading and all that. And uh, not because I really want to read or understand Foucault at all. So why keep trying? It's not it's not that people really care what I'm doing. So what, why do <laughs> I mean, why do I have to to force myself into conversations about Foucault when I'm not at all interested? But that's wisdom. Wisdom comes with time and experience. Yeah. But I'm letting go of all that now, and I'm just jumping to this myth of Brianna, paddling on a surfboard on an ocean somewhere, surviving something, and I'm just like floating with her. That's amazing. Yeah. I can't. I mean, you know, you said you're going to think about tonight. Well, what what you should have said, and I'll just say we can talk again in a year from now. <laughs> take it from See if, I've, I if think... I've drowned in that ocean, <laughs> in the Caribbean Ocean. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. A picture yeah. of Rihanna serenely floating yeah. in the ocean, and then you behind her with yeah, a little yeah. paddle pedaling away, exactly, <laughs> sunburned and hectically trying to yell at her, "Come back! Don't go!" Well, thank you so much, Dita. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Undergang Armchair. The intro and outro music is kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by Twin Musicom. You can find links to their music and tons of other conversations with great artists and people on our muse of a website, culturalbandwidth.com. Check out our other new podcast. It's called By The Way. You can find it there as well. And remember, if you do like this show, you can do us a huge favor if you take a time to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help others find us. It's a huge help. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>